morning I'll be reading from Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near to the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier by dividing the wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, for which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you and who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. And as usual, this is God's Word. And you may be seated. If you were here in 2009, you'll remember that we were really blessed to have Dr. Jim Baird come and talk to us about the great Gospel of Matthew. And we were blessed in that Insight Weekend. And as uh, Douglas has mentioned on a couple of occasions, as uh, everyone was uh, talking and planning and dreaming about what we would do this year in light of preaching through the entire Bible in one year, we thought the best thing that we could do would be to highlight some of the great themes of the Bible as we start in Genesis and we go all the way to the maps. And the name that uh, sort of just popped out as we were thinking about who to come and, and to speak about these great theological themes was Dr. Baird to invite him once again and to come. He is not only highly educated from Oklahoma Christian University all the way to Oxford, but he has that special blend of being able to talk about really profound and deep subjects, but to do it in such an engaging and sometimes a very humorous way. And we know that his students are blessed to, to sit at his feet every, every day during the, the school year. We as a church family are blessed to sit at his feet this weekend as he talks to us during this hour about redemption. I'll remind you to come back at 2 o'clock as he speaks about the church and then at 3.30 on the resurrection. He, uh, he is married to Yolanda. Uh, she came in 2009, but she's not able to be here with him this weekend because on Friday they became grandparents to grandkids 3 and 4, which was, I, I, I thought it was kind of cryptic, and Ellen said, does that mean that he had twins? And he does. He had twins born to, to, John, uh, to Jim, uh, James Taylor uh, this past Friday. He has not seen them yet. He is going to see them on Monday. So we want to, uh, to not only be thankful and, and prayerful about Jim as he speaks to us, but also about these new children that have been born to him and Yolanda and to, into their family. We're going to ask Jim to come up as we pray for him right now, and then he is going to preach to us about redemption. 
Father, thank you so much for the gift, your gift of Jim to us this weekend. We have prayed so many days and so many times about this weekend and about Jim. We're thankful that he is here. And we pray now for us, Father, that you will give us eyes that see and ears that hear. Bless him as a father and as a husband and as a grandpa. We pray also, Father, that you bless him as your speaker in this hour. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate that. It has been a pleasure to be here. I am sorry that uh, my wife's not able to be here. She is having fun playing with babies. Uh, I am really looking forward to that as well tomorrow. And uh, But thank you so much to the elders here for allowing this Insight Seminar to go on and allowing me to come and be part of it. Uh, thank you to, to, to Mark and to Doug and to everybody else. Uh, I've been so, I feel so welcomed. And uh, as I said in the Bible class hour, thank you. Uh, let me just compliment the church here for uh, launching into a year-long study like you're planning to do this year. I, uh, there, there are a lot of churches who prefer staying on a milk diet, and I'm impressed to see a church that is asking the preacher to give them meat. And, and that's a good thing. That's a good sign. Um, we're going to talk about redemption. I came equipped because in those of you who were here in the Bible class hour know that I was attacked by an evil red cedar pollen. And so I, I brought this just in case I have a pollen emergency. Um, back in 2005, there was an explosion uh, about 50 miles south of Houston uh, in a BP refinery. And uh, it uh, blew, uh, well, it started several fires. The fire was burning very hot. It actually was causing uh, cars that were parked nearby to cook off and blow up secondary explosions. It also leveled a, a trailer that was near the tank that had exploded. There was a forklift operator in that plant. This, is, this happened in Texas City. His name was Ralph Dean. And while everybody else was fleeing the scene, Ralph Dean was running towards that trailer that had been flattened by this explosion. And as he was approaching it, according to the story as it came out later, a pickup truck that was next to the trailer exploded. And uh, the force of the explosion knocked him back and covered the trailer with even more rubble. And so he ran back to his forklift, and he attacked the, the problem again. He lifted the pickup truck off of the trailer. Other cars exploded. Around, I'm not kidding. Other, it was like a Hollywood movie. Other cars were exploding around him, and he had to move several cars with his forklift in order to finally get to the trailer, because in the trailer was his wife and his father-in-law. And uh, he was able to save both of them. Rescue. Rescue is what this word redemption means. Redemption, we use it in church. We just almost never use it in ordinary language anymore. But in the first century, people still talked about redemption because it was rescue. 
folks would get kidnapped, and the only way for them to be set free was for someone to come rescue them, to pay the price so that they could be saved. And so the language of redemption is the language of someone other than you coming to do what you can't do for yourself so that you can have the freedom that you need. In Revelation chapter 5, we have an interesting passage. John sees this scroll, and it turns out it's going to be the scroll of God's judgment on the world. If we can just open the scroll, then the world can be fixed. Evil can be punished. Good can be rewarded. Wrongs can be righted. The, the, the meek will finally inherit what they've been... Pro- All of those things can happen if we can just open the scroll. But you remember the problem. No one is worthy. And, and John is crying because no one is worthy. And, and the angel says, don't worry. There is a worthy one. The Lion of Judah has conquered. You know, when I read that, I, I want to see the lion. I want to see the big, strong lion come striding out. I want to see that. But, but when John looks to see this lion, the conquering lion of Judah, he sees a lamb looking like it's been slain. A sacrificed lamb. And those who are gathered around sing this song to the sacrificed lamb They say, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God and they will reign on earth. You purchased them by your sacrifice. You redeemed them. The word redemption means to purchase so that you can be set free. And Jesus has paid the price for us. Sin, as we talked about in the adult Bible class, if you were here for that, sin is slavery. We don't think about it like slavery. Because for us, each sin is an individual decision. I am, you know, enticed, as James says, by my desires, and I I stray from the path. And, And that's typically the way we tend to think about sin. But if you look at the way sin is described in the New Testament, that's one aspect of sin only. Sin itself is a whole system. And the system of sin keeps us trapped in it. Sin over time corrupts the way we think corrupts the way we act, corrupts our relationships. It, in, it keeps cycling us back into the web of more sin. You guys remember the story of uh, the Chilean miners who were trapped in 2010. It's the, the numbers are still staggering to me. 700 billion with a B tons of rock closed over your head. Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine what that would be like? One half mile below the surface of the earth. One of the heroes of the story, 
uh, was the shift foreman, Luis uh, Urzua. And he organized those guys and probably saved their lives. They had two days worth of emergency rations. They had a shelter that they, they could all get to, a place that was reinforced, and they had two days of emergency rations. And uh, they made that stretch for 17 days. One of the things that he did is he got them to all eat a teaspoon of tuna and a sip of water. And they all did it together. Everybody with everybody. So that there was no suspicion that somebody was cheating or somebody was having more than their fair share. And plus it built the community. The air was very limited. They had heavy equipment and they needed uh, fresh water, they could run the heavy equipment in very short bursts. And he organized digging out to uh, create a little bit more room and especially to dig a channel so that fresh water could flow through. And he kept those guys alive for 17 days. But all, and, and, and today there are books on leadership that use him as a prime example. I mean, it's, it's amazing. But you know, Luis Urzua would not have been able to save those guys. Why? Because 700 billion tons of rock, that's why. What do you think it was like 17 days into that ordeal when the first shaft actually broke through and they got fresh water and food and communication from above? It took 70 days in all to actually begin to extract them. Luis Urza Urzua was the last one to be taken out, by the way. It, it, it took a long time, but that rescue had to come from outside. If you're down there under 700 billion piles of rock, you can move the rock around a little bit. You can rearrange the furniture, but you cannot escape. And Paul's message... And the message of the New Testament is, you think sin is just a minor problem you can handle anytime you want. The fact is, sin has got you caged. And you can't escape it unless someone comes to rescue you. That's redemption. It is being set free by the power of Jesus Christ so that we can begin to live the way that God intends for us to live. God made us so that we could be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. God the Father loves God the Son. He loves God the Son so much, He wants billions of copies. When you hear the story of Jesus Christ, you are looking... At what your life is meant to become. That is your destiny. And, and each one of us is designed by God and our happiness will be found when we can be transformed in the image of Christ. But we can't do it without help from outside. And that is the redemption that God has provided. Redemption is being set free. Redemption is also social. It's a little tough for us to understand, but redemption is, has to be more than just an individual 
moment in our lives. Redemption has to be social. In 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, Peter writes this to the Gentile converts uh, that he is uh, giving his letter to. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were deemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb without blemish or defect. You were redeemed. The price has been paid for you. You have been saved by the precious blood of God's Lamb. What have you been saved from? That last phrase in verse 18. From the futile or vain or pointless way of life that's been handed down to you by your ancestors. Did you get that? Sin is not just your problem. It is a problem of the entire society that you live in. Our entire culture and all other human cultures, they have some good things, they have some bad things. They move the rocks around one way or they move the rocks around the other way, but every human culture is trapped in sin. Uh, We have a, a New Testament scholar that teaches at Oklahoma Christian. And uh, he was talking to the honors kids. I I direct the honors program there. He was talking to the honors kids. And he said, we talk a lot about, especially to people your age, he was talking to these 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds. He said, we talk a lot about resisting peer pressure, learning to resist peer pressure. You know, Cody, you teach your teens probably resist peer pressure. It's good to learn to resist peer pressure. But Richard said, resisting peer pressure is not enough. You need better peers. And that is actually a tremendously profound statement. That's actually one of the keys to understanding God's plan of redemption. You do need better peers. You are never going to walk the Christian walk. You are never going to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ alone. This problem was bred into you by the society around you, the fallen societies of human beings. The only way that redemption can work, even if God comes and washes away your sins, if he puts you back into that same community, into that same society, you're just going to get crushed again by 700 billion tons of rock. You have to have a redeemed community if you want to have a chance of receiving the blessings of redemption. And so what did God do? He created his community. We call it the church. We're going to talk about that this afternoon. Two o'clock. Be there. Uh, Don't bring the red cedar. God had to create a community so that the horrible messages that human culture gives us, the sinful, the compromise, it's not that everything about human culture is bad. It's not. But, but the compromises and the sin, we have resistance to that because we have our people, this new redeemed community. We're not perfect. The church is messed up too. But, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the word uh, of God that, that has been granted to us, and because of the redemption of Jesus Christ that washes us, we are able to resist what the world does and to begin to move in the direction God wants. I don't know how it is here, but 
I, I work at a small church in Oklahoma City. And occasionally, very occasionally, I, we'll get complaints in the Bible classes from some members who feel like we're just spending too long on the prayer requests. You know, we need to get to what we're really here for, which is the Bible study. Now, look, I'm a Bible teacher. I love Bible study. But I've had a couple of times, actually from the pulpit, I've even corrected that. I said, the fellowship of Christians is just as much the work of the church as studying another piece of Scripture. Koinonia, fellowship. What you and I do with each other in the church is part of how God helps you to transform into the image of Christ. The way you specifically can become the image of Christ that nobody else can, that happens within the fellowship of the church. If you count up the number of passages in the New Testament that talk about baptism, how many do you think there would be? There are quite a few, but it's not really more than uh, two dozen. If you count up all the passages that talk about love for one another, be kind to one another, avoid factions and divisions, bear with one another. How many passages are there like that? It's about every second page of the New Testament, especially the letters that are written to churches. Learning... To get along with the people that are on the pews with you right now is God's work. It's redemption work. It is part of how God teaches you to be the image of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ obeys the two great commandments, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And part of becoming Jesus is to learn to do that. And the church helps us in that and many other ways. Third thing that I would say is that redemption is cosmic. And this is an idea that was a bit new to me. I had to be persuaded on this one. It took me a while. That redemption is cosmic. I guess the way that I imagined it as a kid was that uh, the world is just sort of the props for the drama of each individual soul. And each individual soul, you know, using the, the set piece of the world, walks around on it until they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then that soul gets saved and eventually sort of gets, I guess, sucked out of the body and taken away somewhere to heaven. That was kind of the way that I imagined it. But again, the more you read in the New Testament, the more you realize that salvation, although it is individual God does want to save you. He wants to save your soul. He has a much bigger plan than that in mind. He's got a big plan in mind. In that, we read from Ephesians chapter 2 at the start of the, of, of the sermon this morning. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, he just tells you, Jesus is God's plan to bring everything in the universe under his control to bring everything back to unity here in Romans chapter 8 verses 20 through 22 for the creation not just human beings but the creation the rocks the trees even the red cedar all of creation 
is groaning in frustration. It's subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. I used to think that God sort of had given up on this world. That his plans are, burn it up. And I'll get as many people out of it as I can before I burn it up. But who made the world? God made it. And what did God think of the world when he made it? He said, it's very good. When it's got my image bearers in it, it's very good. God loves this world that he made. He loves it in its particulars. He loves it in detail. He appreciates it more than you appreciate it. And God does not want to give up on it. He doesn't want to give up on you. He doesn't want to give up on human society. He doesn't even want to give up on physical creation. All of it. He's got a plan of redemption. Jesus Christ is going to redeem the universe. Not just some human beings picked out of the universe. That is a mind-boggling idea to me. But it has been helpful to me on a number of scores. I'll just give you one. I will say that when I was a kid, the pictures I was given of heaven were not very attractive. What are you going to do when you get to heaven? I don't know. As far as uh, what I was told as a kid, I think that we get harps and uh, we sing uh, worship songs. And how long does it last? Forever. You know, I was an eight-year-old with ADD. Uh, It was tough for me to sit through an hour of church service singing songs of praise to God. And eternity didn't really sound like heaven. It sounded more like the other place. You know? But if God's plan is to redeem the world, now I know he's going to make it all new. It's a new heaven and a new earth. He's got... He's got a plan for it. It's going to renew. It's going to be appropriate for his direct presence in a way that he is not uh, completely present now. But, But in that world, you are finally, you, each individual, in the way that you are specifically created, that you alone can manifest the image of God, you will be ruling. You will have kingdom work to do. There will be ongoing things to accomplish to do what Jesus prayed for so that God's will can be done throughout creation just as it is done now in heaven. God's redemption is cosmic and you are part of that redemption. What does it look like when God appears in the Bible? What does it look like? It's really not a good answer to that question. One time, he shows up and he looks like three guys needing a meal. Another time he shows up, he just looks like a pot of fire 
floating in the air. Another time, he looks like a big cloud. In the daytime, at night, a pillar of fire. Other times, he just looks like a bunch of smoke on the top of the mountains. Sometimes, he sounds like just a tiny little whisper. What does God look like? No telling. Is it really impossible to believe that God looks like Jesus? If you're a Christian, that's the story that you tell, and that's the story that saved you. That Jesus is God with us. When we were trapped under 700 billion tons of inescapable sin, Jesus came to us to set us free. And nothing in your life matters more than what you do when Jesus comes to you. You can be rich. You can be powerful. You can be beautiful. You can be loaded with the awards that the world has to give you. And if you miss Jesus, you miss everything. Jesus is your destiny. Make things right with Jesus and everything will be right. If you need to respond to God's invitation this morning, don't put it off any longer. Maybe you've been thinking about baptism, you understand what a step it is, and you are ready to be buried with Jesus and resurrected to walk in a new life to begin to be shaped in His image. Maybe you need prayers. Maybe uh, that there are things that this congregation can do for you and you want to make a public statement about that. If there's anything that we can do, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing. Lord, let Your light, light of Your face